Good morning, church and guests. It's good to good to be with you. Uh, it's always a, a privilege to have the opportunity to open God's Word. Um, I'll just have to say from the outset, hopefully it'll be evident as I'm preaching this morning, I'm excited to preach this morning. <laughs> Holly's probably ready for me to get this message off my chest because I'm talking with her at the house and you know, I had to restrain myself yesterday to not go ahead and tweet, tweet out the entire sermon. But there's just something, I think we will continue to see it as we walk through this book, this letter that Paul penned to the church at Philippi. It is amazing. Every verse, there's just so much here. And as we consider the life of this man again this morning and how God worked through him and how he wants to work through us, I do. I'm just, I'm excited and I pray that God would move and work. Here from the outset is our our takeaway. Here's what I think is the main point that we're going to see in verses 12 through 20 this morning. That's this. As disciples of Jesus Christ, our joy is dependent upon a proper focus. A focus on the advancement of the gospel and the glory of Christ. So our joy... Joy for us in life and in ministry depends upon having the right focus, the right outlook, a focus on gospel advancement and the glory of Jesus Christ. Allow me to provide just a brief recap as we approach these verses this morning. Paul again is writing from prison in Rome. He's writing to the church in Philippi. A church that he helped establish, as we saw there in Acts chapter 16, when Pastor Mark opened this book. Philippi was a Roman colony. It was a leading city of the district there in Macedonia. And we saw there in Acts 16, Lydia was the first convert. Recall the miraculous account of how that Philippian jailer was converted. An earthquake came upon at midnight and and the prisoners are released and Paul and Silas are there. And this jailer thinks, the one thing I'm supposed to do, I have let fall. And he is about to fall on the sword before God uses Paul to save this jailer. This was a church that was deeply loved by Paul. And he did not want them to lose heart based upon his current circumstances. And also, with their current circumstances, the enemies they were facing, the disunity that was present, the fact that their leader, Epaphroditus, had nearly died twice. The Philippians were partners with Paul in the ministry of the gospel. They were helping to support him. He was praying for them and they were praying for him. And as he writes this letter to extend thanks, he also writes to to inform them that though imprisoned, the work continues. Though in chains, the gospel advances. Let's look together there at verse 12. I want you to know, brothers that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. 
so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. We know that a lot has happened to Paul. He experienced a lot. Shipwreck, imprisonment, uh, imprisoned there in Caesarea. And all he says here in verse 12 is, I want you to know that what has happened to me. That, that could be just his current imprisonment. It could be all the other things. But he takes, what's that, five words. And then he quickly gets back to his main point. And his main point, his chief concern is this. That it's all served to advance the gospel. His chief concern is clear. He wants to make sure the Philippians know that what has happened to him has not sidetracked the advancement of the gospel, but instead it has been used by God to facilitate the advancement of the gospel. As he says there in verse 13, it had become known throughout the entire imperial guard, that 9,000 member group of Roman guards, and also to Roman officials and to Roman citizens, that his imprisonment was for Christ. It was for the sake of Christ. He was imprisoned for Christ's sake. And the irony is that there, confined, locked up, restricted in a sense, he actually has before him a captive audience. He's got guards and, and other officials who are just confused. They're dumbfounded by his joy, his awe, the boldness of this man. Not only does Paul give testimony to the gospel, but other believers who are there in Philippi and who are aware of his circumstances, they're becoming more bold in their witness as well. He says there in verse 14, they are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Believer, can I just remind you this morning with this truth from the Word of God? Your circumstances are not an accident. They are not an accident. They are divinely ordained opportunities for the advancement of the Gospel. God wants to use you and He wants to use me right where we are. From High Point University to Forsyth Medical Center to Greensboro Peds to Baptist Hospital to Syngenta to TriMed Technologies to the city of High Point to the town of Clemens, American Airlines to Moms at Home to the Companions Group to Caleb's Creek and Greystone and Meadowlands and Wahlberg Landing and UNCC and Gardner-Webb and everywhere in between. I know I missed a few. That was a random rapid-fire sampling. But here's my point. God wants to use us right where we are. You say, well, Chad, you just don't know my situation. You don't know my work situation. You don't know who I have to report to. You don't know the folks who are on my team. You don't know the full ramifications of my diagnosis. You don't know my unruly neighbor. 
Do you really understand the dynamics in my family? And you know you're correct. I don't know. I don't know every specific. I don't know every detail. But here's what I do know. God has you there and He wants to use you there. Your attitude, your perspective, your joy can be used by God to advance the gospel and to bring glory to His Son. So often throughout the history of the church, we see this pattern. Great suffering is used by God to bring about great advancement of the gospel. Two bishops, Bishops Ridley and Latimer, they were burned at the stake in October of 1555 according to the orders of Queen Mary who was intent, her sole intent was to bring England back to the Roman Catholic Church. Latimer burned much quicker than Ridley and as dying he encouraged him, be of good comfort Mr. Ridley and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust shall never be put out. And in January of 1956, I know a story familiar to many of you, Jim Elliott and his friends were killed by the the Hirani people of Ecuador, a people group, group, an unreached people group that they were trying to reach with the gospel. And their deaths led to the igniting of missions efforts across the United States and increased funding for evangelization efforts across the globe. Here's what's even more amazing. Consider this. Jim's wife, Elizabeth, and a sister of one of the men killed, they later returned to live among the Humorani people, leading to the conversion of many. A spouse, a sibling killed and later they go back they return and God uses that to convert many our God works through our sufferings to bring about his purposes the advancement of his gospel and the glory of his name so friend don't waste your suffering your joy amidst the pain is evidence of a great God and a glorious gospel. Deliverance awaits. Hold on. Stay the course. If you're in Christ, you will be delivered. Let's continue there in verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. In these verses, Paul makes a distinction between two groups who are preaching the gospel. And this is important for us to realize The situation we have here, it's not like the one in Corinth or the one in Galatia where Paul is writing and speaking out against, writing against how a false gospel is being preached. Both groups are preaching the one true gospel. The distinction between the groups has to do 
with their motives. It's an issue of motives. One group preaches from right, pure motives, and out of goodwill and love towards Paul. The other group preaches from envy, and as the text says, from selfish ambition, seeking to inflict some sort of damage onto Paul. We're not exactly sure the intent of the damage. We know Paul was a gifted communicator. He was effectively able to communicate the truths of the gospel. Maybe this group thought that, okay, now that Paul is in prison, it's a good chance for us to get ahead. Maybe we can increase our following, use it to our advantage. It was another opportunity where Paul could become discouraged and grow bitter, and yet we see that he rejoices as Christ is proclaimed. We know this to be a common temptation. Oftentimes, we want the kingdom of God to come, but we only want it to come if it comes through us. Ministry leaders were particularly prone to this sort of temptation. There's a constant battle that that goes on inside each of us between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of self. And we have to regularly check our motives. And we have to have other people in our lives that can help us assess our motives. Tony Merida and Francis Chan in their commentary on this letter, they say this, Comparison is an enemy of joy. It makes you unnecessarily distracted. And it can lead to either despair or pride. And it takes your eyes off of the king. Comparison is an enemy of joy. It will kill your joy. And if you're on the comparison treadmill, it it is destructive. It's just such an enemy of joy in life. Each week, as we did this morning, as Pastor Mark did, we pray... We intentionally pray for a like-minded church in our area. Not only are we seeking to intercede on behalf of the needs and the concerns within those local bodies, but we're also praying, Lord, may your kingdom come. And if it comes through the work of Twin City Baptist or Green Street Baptist or Rosemont Baptist, praise God. Let your kingdom come. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. If Christ is proclaimed, and if the kingdom is advanced, Paul has great reason to rejoice. And so too should we. Look back there at at 18, the second half of 18. Yes, yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Earlier in the letter, we saw evidence of Paul's prayers on behalf of the saints there in Philippi. And here, we see evidence of their prayers on his behalf. And folks, this is, this is what it means to share a partnership in the gospel. 
It means to have a care and concern and to intercede on behalf of those sending and on behalf of those being sent. We may at times think, you know, well, God knows all. He's sovereign. Therefore, you know, my prayers, they they really don't mean that much. Paul would beg to differ. He firmly believes that it's because of their prayers and the presence of Jesus manifested by the Holy Spirit that is producing in him this supernatural joy and that ultimately the prayers and the Spirit of Jesus Christ is going to contribute to his deliverance. He's not saying that all is just going to be hunky-dory for him, but he's saying that in whatever happens, Christ will be honored. When Paul says that he expects that he will be delivered, that will happen even through his death. Our God sovereignly works through our prayers to bring about His desired purposes. This is our aim. It's our objective on the fourth Sunday evening of every month. We come together as soldiers in a battle and we give report to one another of how we see things on the front lines. We invite prayer, prayer for relationships with neighbors and co-workers and family members and friends and we plead, God, work. We plead together for courage and then we share opportunities we've had for gospel conversations and we embolden one another. Go back out. Get back out into the battlefield for the souls of men and women, boys and girls whom we love in our spheres of influence. Paul was focused steadily wholeheartedly, singularly focused on the gospel. He desired more than anything else to see the gospel advanced and Christ Jesus glorified. It's not easy. It's difficult. We, we know this from our human experience to turn the focus off of ourselves, away from ourselves, and onto Christ. We crave recognition. We crave the recognition we get from others. We, we want, we each desire that our circumstances go according to our plans. But as we mature in Christ, it becomes more and more natural for us to turn the attention away from ourselves and on to Christ. I think it's sometimes too easy for us to just say, well, well, you know, this, this was Paul. He... He was like superhuman, super apostle, right? No. He was human. He was the former persecutor who now sees Jesus and he sees everything differently. The one formerly taking others captive is now the one who's in chains for Christ. Friend, if you're here this morning... If you're here and you're not a believer, this can be your story. Your life can literally be turned upside down. You can go from living completely, wholeheartedly, 100% for yourself to living completely for Jesus Christ. That is what the power of the Gospel does. The good news of the Gospel 
is the news that God is holy. In Him there is no imperfection. In you there is the image of God, but that image has been distorted. There's imperfection, countless imperfections, transgressions that make you guilty before a holy God. You are in a desperate predicament. But God made a way through His Son for you to know Him. Jesus, the God-man, the perfect sinless Son, lived the life that you have failed to live. He died the death that you deserve to die. And He now sits at the right hand of God the Father. When He returns, He's going to return as judge. But if you repent, that is if you turn from your life of sin and turn from your self-obsessed ways and put your faith in Him, He will start to change you from the inside out. It can. It can become possible to see things and to approach things differently. That is the story of every believer in this sanctuary this morning. Though some of the details and circumstances are different, the storyline is the same. Our lives have been radically changed from the inside out. Prior to coming to Christ for me, though outwardly I looked as though I had things pretty well put together, on the inside there was sin. There was darkness. Fundamentally, ultimately, it was all about me, making much of me self-glorification. But then, things started to change. The gospel took root, and genuine spiritual fruit started to be produced. Our lives have been radically changed. What's your focus this morning? What is your outlook Our book theme that we've been looking at each time is this. Our life is fulfilling when we joyfully surrender to the will and the work of the Lord Jesus as He has ordered it for our good and His glory. So we have to ask ourselves, believers, are we living attractive, joyful lives before others? Are they attracted to us? Do they see something different? Do they see joy rejoicing amidst difficulty? In whatever situation we face, no matter what we face, deliverance awaits the believer. What a foretaste of deliverance. How unwavering our hope. Christ in power, resurrected as we will be when He comes. We too, like Paul, can rejoice regardless of the circumstances. Whether we live or whether we die, might Christ be exalted in our bodies. Let's pray.